0: All right, well, praise the Lord for a time of worship like that. What a, what a great blessing. I'm so thankful for how the Lord works through his people. And again, this podium made its way up here, and I don't know how it got up here, but uh, I appreciate that as well. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we, uh, this is the third week of our series of messages entitled, The Scripture Cries Out, and the scripture is going to continue to cry out to us, and it's going to cry out to us today from a place that is probably not a, a, a go-to for a lot of us, but that place is Leviticus. And I uh, I don't know how much excitement you all get when you hear words like Leviticus in your life, but... This morning, uh, we are going to be in Leviticus, and uh, technology has failed me a little bit again, so I apologize that the, the, uh, all of the outline will not be up there, but the title is up there, and really, I debated on whether to do it outline or not, so God kind of answered that question, I guess, for me, so... Leviticus chapter 16 and I know this is uh, probably a familiar very familiar place to you all as you are uh, very diligent students of the book of Leviticus yes, yes. Okay, maybe not. All right, so we, I, I did hear some verbal yeses, but no one was brave enough to raise their hand, and that's okay. Uh, so uh, Leviticus 16, the scripture cries out, and we've, we've been looking at how God has, has been preparing the way for his son all throughout the pages of this book. It's all about Jesus as we celebrate the birth of a savior. Um, and so, so to get there today, I just have to ask a question. Uh, who in here uh, drinks soda? Okay, all right, worse. All right, so now, now here's the follow up question. Uh, and I know that uh, this is going to be a lot less. Who in here drinks diet soda? Oh my goodness, that many? All right, so this is going to be tough. I wasn't prepared for this. No. Uh, so, so here's the thing. You know, I, I, it's always interesting to me how uh, that we can become comfortable with artificial. And diet soda just comes into play, so forgive me for this, but we can become comfortable with artificial. Like, I, I was thinking about this, and, you know, I thought, you know, soda is good, and we know that soda is good because it has all that really healthy sugar, the good sugar though, not the bad, it's got the, but I thought, you know, there's no way people are going to drink diet on purpose at first, right? Hear me out. Not at first, right? Because once you once you go from the good and the real to the diet, it kinda it's it's kind of a, a, a shock to your taste buds. Wouldn't you say that's true? Yeah, that's true. But what happens what happens when after a while of you drinking the diet? You <laughs> get <laughs> That 's the theory right that's the theory <laughs> you just... <laughs> so <laughs> So after, you know, a while after drinking the diet, I feel like what happens is your, your taste buds adjust to the diet taste, and then the, the, the real, I'll call it the real, then the real tastes weird, right? Because you've been drinking diet for so long. And you know, it's, it's interesting that in, in so many things, like with foods and, and, so, and stuff that we drink, that happens, you know? I heard someone talking this week, you know, we don't come out of the womb drinking coffee, right? Well... <laughs> right? I need some confirmation on that, right, please. Right, okay, yeah. So, so we, don't, we don't just come out of the womb. There's some point in time where that transition happens where we go from not liking coffee at all, and it's disgusting, which it seems to be where it is at the beginning, to, oh, now if I don't have coffee, don't talk to me until I get coffee, right? There is, there is a point in time where that transition happens from a non-coffee drinker, and some of us keep that as is there any non-coffee drinkers in here? Oh my goodness, there's a lot... Good job. You all cope well without it. Good job. Kudos to you, right? But, but there's that moment where, uh, where we make that transition, and then it's like we need our coffee. There's all those little cliche sayings that don't talk to me before I have my coffee in the morning. And so, uh, so that, that kind of happens, and then we get kind of get caught in that, and we feel like we need it always, or else, right? Or else you get some Army coffee, and then you realize, oh, it's not that good, and you can do without, right? Right? <laughs> But you know, I, I was thinking about this and, and you know, so much of, of our life, it seems like we can become uh, stuck in place in wherever we're at. We can become satisfied with the artificial. You know, there was this family in, in Kentucky that had their own grapevines. And I remember uh, the first time that I ate grapes off of a grapevine. You know, it was uh, Alfred and Maddie was their names. And, and I went over there and I picked it up and I, 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 I ate the grape and I was blown away. Because believe it or not, when it comes off the grapevine, it doesn't taste hardly at all like what you get in that little bag at the store. Isn't that incredible? But the, my whole life I thought I was actually eating grapes. And then I started second guessing, Whoa, what am I eating when I get those bags? Because this... Does not taste like that. Has anyone ever had grapes straight off the vine? Yeah. I mean, the flavor and and just the intensity of the flavor. It's like, man, I'll never go. Well, not never, but I would like to never go back because off the vine is incredible. It's so much more flavorful than it is from that little bag in the store. And then I had one more experience back in small town, Kentucky. We still have a lot of gardens and people harvesting their own food. And I remember my father-in-law made forest us pork burgers one time, and he was a part of the whole process of that. And I'll leave that up to the rest of your imagination, but nonetheless, he was a part of that whole process. And I remember eating that and thinking, oh my goodness, this is incredible. What have I been eating at all these other places that claim that I'm eating meat? That can't be meat if that's what meat tastes like. You know what I mean? But we become so comfortable in our routines and in our artificial and in these things that what starts out as kind of crazy then becomes just status quo. And you know, I'm afraid as I read in Leviticus that that sometimes is what we can do with God too. That what the scripture says about God is sometimes is vastly different than, when, than how we live after this God. So, so when I read in, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, when I read what God's word says about the greatness of the God that we serve, it tells a different story sometimes than in the lives of those, in the way that we treat, in the way that we talk about, in the way that we reverence, in the way that we live life after this almighty God today. It looks very different sometimes in the Bible and, and there, his explanation of himself versus what we see sometimes in our own life. Does that make sense? And here's what I'm afraid of, and I just want to be kind of casual. You may say, well, you're not casual. I just want to be kind of... I'm afraid of this, that just like in our different variations of foods and drinks, that in the way we hear other people describe God, that's the way that we see God ourselves instead of seeing God the way that the Scripture talks about God. And it doesn't stop there. I'm afraid that we not only don't see him for who he is according to the Scripture, but I'm also afraid that we don't see our sin for what it is according to that God of the Scripture. And and as we do that, we, we paint this picture because, I mean, honestly, if you read about the reverence of God in the Old Testament, if you read about God's expectation for his people in the Old Testament, and then you see how we react to God, then you see how we treat God, honestly, a lot of us may not be alive today if we treated God the way we do today back then. And I read that and I think, man, that, that is an alarming realization to come upon that that we may be missing the greatness of who he is because we've become comfortable in saying things like, oh, well, I know, you know, and even in, in saying it, like we know what to say to the point that when we say it, it's lifeless. We've repeated it so much that there's no life there because we don't see it for the reality of what it is. We just know it verbally enough to repeat it time and time again. You know, we say things like, at least in southern uh, Kentucky, we said things like, well, they're not that bad. They're just, they're a pretty good old boy. And it's like, uh, who... Standard are you using to describe them as a pretty good old boy, because when we say things like that, you know we, we kind of give this impression that oh well they 're caught up in some sin, but it 's not really that big a deal because they 're pretty okay in the end and it 's like but when I see god 's description of sin, when I see God and the way that he looks at sin, when I see his holiness it 's like that seems to really downplay the severity of sin. And at the same time, give this false sense of security that, oh, well, they're probably okay because they're not that bad. When I see, when I hear people uh, describe God sometimes, and they'll just flippantly say, well, yeah, God's holy, he's the king on the throne, but then they'll live their life like he very much is not the king of their life, and they are okay with living their life like he's not the king of their life, and then I'm like, okay, you either don't understand what you just said, or you don't believe it, because you don't treat kings that way. And so in Leviticus, we come to this passage in Leviticus 16 and the scripture, and I really think God cries out to us and says, we need to see it clearly. We need to see him clearly. We need to see sin and the detrimental component and aspect of sin and the separating aspect of sin in our life. And we need to see it with all clearness that God provides in his word. And so there's no way we can see it, no place we can see it clearer than in Leviticus, obviously, right? That's the natural progression of things, to go to Leviticus. But I want you to see in Leviticus chapter 16, and, and we'll pick up right there. If you could stand with me this morning, we will read just the first two, three verses, excuse me, uh, of Leviticus 16. If you could stand in honor of the reading of God's word, we'll just read the first three verses, and then we'll just dig, dig into this. Leviticus 16 verses 1 through 3 says this, And the, and the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of, two, of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speaking to Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus, Aaron, um, come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we we just come to you today grateful for who you are. And Father, I just pray for hearts and minds. God, I pray for your Spirit's wisdom and guidance and just helping us to see you. Lord, I believe that's what you have for us today, what you are crying out of the pages of your scripture to show us. And I praise you for your faithfulness to do that. I pray, Lord, that you will just still minds. Father, not to wander, not to look to the left and to the right, but just to keep their focus and their heart and their mind on you and just allow us to to see you. And we praise you for the greatness of who you are, and we just love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You all can be seated, thank you. So, so here's the first thing, uh, if, if we did have the outline that was coming up, the first thing that, that I would want you to see is that in the Old Testament, the access to God was limited the access to God was limited. So so it's it's an important point because today we experience a whole lot of blessing, a whole lot of access, a whole lot of privilege, a whole lot of grace. We are able to go in uh, into the presence of God and we are able to so much that we really take for granted the reality behind the fact that we can go into the presence of God and pray. We can go into the presence of God freely and worship. We can serve him in the way that we're privileged to serve him we we take it for granted because it's it's so readily available or it feels so readily available but you notice in Leviticus 16 that that God begins in talking to Moses and 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 Aaron he says that basically Aaron needs to be careful coming into my presence because if he's not he will die and it's interesting because it's not like Aaron is just somebody off the street, right? It's not like Aaron is just someone that, that doesn't know things, information, stuff about God. Aaron is, is the high priest, is the lineage that the high priests are going to come out of, the worldly high priest. And so God says, even Aaron, you must be careful because if you come into my presence the wrong way, You will die. God didn't say, I'm going to exempt you from the consequence because of who you are. Because just because Aaron was Aaron didn't mean it changed who God was, right? Uh, And so you may ask, why would God bring about such a serious message like this to Aaron when all this was beginning? And I'm so glad that you asked. We're on the same page. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 10, you find out that the children of Aaron actually was met with this fate. They died. Uh, And we see in Leviticus 10, verse number 1, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is, this is it, what the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What do you say when God consumes your children with fire because they offer wrong sacrifices to him? Don't do it again. again. I mean, I mean, Aaron held his, his peace. What, what are you going to say? Like, they, they have done wrong. But in, in the context of what we're seeing, we see a picture of God that looks very different than what the picture of God sometimes that we have in our hearts, in our minds today. You know, because this was a God that demanded you to be right when you come into his presence. He was a, a holy God, a righteous God, a, a powerful God. And it wasn't a God that you just rolled up in. Flippantly, and said, Hey, I'm gonna just kind of spend some time with you today. Maybe I'm gonna be a little bit distracted. Hey, I gotta take this phone call now. I mean, it wasn't that kind of relationship. It was like, You, if you're gonna come into the presence of the king, you better make sure that you're right before you do. Because if you're not right, you will die. So, so it, it begs the question, you know, when we, when we look at Jesus and, and, and this message today is to help us to see and try to have a clearer picture of what Christ has done in the entirety of his ministry, in the entirety of his redemptive purpose, everything that he's done. But it begs the question, if this was still the standard today, how many of us would still be alive? And then it begs a follow-up question. Is God different today than he was in Leviticus 16? No. So then, a third question. Why do we treat God like he's an elf on a shelf instead of recognize God for the holy king on the throne that he is? Why in all of our privilege that we have today to go into his presence, could you imagine Aaron if he came into our time today and he saw that we were able to come to the altar and he saw that we were able to pray and we were able to bow and we could go right in to the presence of God and speak to God when we wanted to speak to God? Could you imagine what he must say if he saw that we weren't doing it when we had the privilege to do so? Could you imagine if he came in and he said, wait, you don't, have to, you don't have to go through this process. You don't have to sacrifice this animal and these two goats and this ram. You don't have to, to do this and then hope that you're right when you go on the other side of the veil and you can just go into his presence. And then he saw that how often, how rarely we prayed, he would probably be like, oh, I would be doing it always if I could go into the presence of God with such freedom like you do. Aaron did not live in the system that we lived God was the same but but what was required for him to do was vastly different than what you and I find today and there's going to be one reason why that difference is there and we're going to get to that but I want you to see here that God at the beginning of chapter 16 says I'm just letting you know I'm getting it out I am the king I am holy you need to do it my way and if you don't you will die and I want you to know that this is not the exception this is the general rule as 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 a baseline you know the kings throughout all of history the kings ruled with an iron fist right you know, you look at the, the book of Esther and you realize that to just go into the presence of the king wasn't something that you just decided, and when you did decide it, like in Esther's case, it came with a little bit of a fear because you didn't know how the king would respond to that. And, and so we see that just the concept of a king and going into his presence was done very strategically or as you were summoned, Not freely. But I would say that our king of kings, we not only come to him freely, but sometimes we may go too far the other way. Wouldn't you agree? We come to him with just this, this casual heart. We come to him with kind of a general acknowledgement of who he is, but not really not really fully thinking about it. We come to him distracted, and while we're praying or making our requests, anybody or anything can take our attention away, and we'll look to that thing or this thing, and we'll completely stop the conversation with God. We come to him with a time frame, and we say, God, we've got 30 minutes to talk to you, King, and then we will excuse ourselves, from the conversation because we just are busy, and you've got to understand that. Thank you for understanding as the king. I mean, don't we do those things? And and we come to Leviticus, I want you to see the process, the sacrificial. The second thing I want you to see is the process that had to be gone through for Aaron in this day to even be able to go in to the Holy of Holies. It was not an easy process. Look at what it says in verse number four. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen miter shall he be attired these are holy garments therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on so the first thing that we see is that he is going to have to have a bull for the sin of himself and his household and he's going to have to offer that bull as a sacrifice he's going to have linen garments that he's got to put on and wash his flesh as well in order to make himself clean before going into the presence of the lord and that's not all it's you read in verse number 5 he says and he shall take of the congregation of the children of israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. It says, and and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. All right, so here we go. A lot of words, but this is it. Aaron had to offer for his own sin before he went into the Holy of Holies. And what he offered for his own sin was a bull. So, so he had to offer a bull for his own sin and for the sin of his household before he could go into the presence of God. And this was on the Day of Atonement. But not only that, there were two goats involved, right? One goat was a goat that he would offer for the sins of the people. The other goat, the scapegoat, was a goat that they would lay hands on, pray over, put the sin of the people on the scapegoat, and send the scapegoat by a fit man out into the wilderness to get the sin out of the camp of the Israelites. So all of this was the process on the Day of Atonement that Abraham or, or that excuse me that Aaron had to go through in order to go into the presence of God because he had to make sure that the sin was out of the way, not only in his life, but in all of the, of the nation of Israel before he went into the presence of the Lord because if that wasn't the case, death, right? You know, it's very convicting to me to see the process that they were willing to go through and then to come into our day-to-day and say, what are we willing to do to, to, to even show up? What has to be in place for us to even show up for him? You know, this wasn't, like a, this wasn't like a super quick process, right? Like, I mean, this was a, a long process. And could you imagine if you knew, if you and I knew that every time we, we bowed to pray, every time we went into the presence of God, that if we didn't have it right, if our reverence wasn't correct, if the sin wasn't gone, then we could be in grave danger of losing our life. I think it would take a whole different perspective into, into account when it comes to our service and our surrender to the King. But, but this is how they lived. So it not only tells us that God is holy and that God is the king, but it also tells us that God does not like sin. And he doesn't like, and he doesn't specify the sin, and we've talked about that a lot. He doesn't like sin, sinfulness in all respects. The whole concept and downplaying of, well, they're they're a good old boy, they're not that bad. According to who? Because we're all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, and we know that to be the case according to God? I feel like it's not our place to downplay the sin when God makes such a big deal of it. And God makes such a big deal of it, not, not, not categorized, not compartmentalized, but sin as a general term. He makes a big deal of it as disobedience to his name. And so it doesn't matter. Don't let the culture and the world allow you to downplay the sin in your life without confessing that to God when you go into his presence. Because God looks seriously upon sin. And as a matter of fact, in the whole system, he not only wanted sacrifices to pay for the sin, but he wanted the sin to be taken outside the camp. Because what happens when sin remains within the camp? It spreads, it's a disease, right? Like rust, like a cancer that will continue to grow, will continue to separate, will continue to divide until it has wreaked havoc on your life and on the lives of those around you. So you may say, well, uh, this this goes for us today. It's for them, he dealt with the nation of Israel. This goes for us today on an individual basis, but it also goes for with in the church because individually we come and gather as a church, right? And so if there are sin, we can't go about with this mentality. Well, my sin is only gonna impact me because that's a lie from the enemy, right? We know that even in the Old Testament, there would be those that would try to hide things and would sin and think that, oh, well, no one's gonna know. And there would be punishment for not only that person, but also their family as a result of their sin. Because a proper perspective on God is that God is holy, God is righteous, God is the king. But a proper perspective on sin says sin separates you from God. It does. And I don't, I don't care, I'm not going to, I don't care what the sin is, I don't care what, what we justify away, the word of God doesn't give me allowance to say unless it's this or unless it's that, the word of God, God says, listen, I need it all out, I want all of it out, I want you to be obedient to me, and as king, I want you to obey, I want you to follow, I want you to reverence, I want you to honor, and part of that means those sinful things in your life, you got to get rid of them because God is holy. And so that's, that's what he does through Aaron. So he's got a bull for himself. He's got the goat, the scapegoat. He's got the burnt offering of the ram. He washes his body. He puts the linen on his body or, or, or the garments, the special garments on, on his body. Uh, and in verse number eight, it says this, and thou shalt say, oh, excuse me. In verse number eight, it says this, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat unto the wilderness. Um, and so if we jump over to, to Hebrews chapter 10, and I want you to kind of hold your place, you see the beauty. The amazing thing about Leviticus is Leviticus really shows us the holiness of God. It does, like in its sacrificial system, it's so fascinating to me that we kind of sometimes avoid Leviticus like a plague, right? Like we're like Genesis, Exodus, yeah, I'm right, no, no, no let's go to Numbers, let's go to Deuteronomy, right? Like let's not, but Leviticus shows us a great picture of the holiness of God because if you take Leviticus and you read it alongside Hebrews, then you see this, this coming together of the word of God in an amazing way and showing the majesty of who Christ is as the great high priest, the fulfillment of everything we read about in Leviticus. Uh, And so in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse number 11, it says this. It says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemy be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, here's what we've got to see Aaron went through this whole process just to go in once a year into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. But just because he did it one year, the next year Aaron still had to offer the bull for his sin and for his household. Aaron still had to offer for the people because guess what happened with Aaron and all the people of Israel? They sinned again. Okay, I was just wanting to hear one. I'm like, is, is anybody, are we still, yeah. So, so they sinned again. So it was a continual process. It was a continual thing. It was never the finality of it all because every year they had to do it again. Now, now, here's the thing. When we talk about the birth of the Savior, what we have to understand is, yes, he was born a baby, but what he accomplished on our behalf is so much greater than sometimes we give him credit for. Like, yes, he came as a baby. Yes, he lived perfectly. Yes, we know that he came and he did many miracles, but you have to see that our whole relationship with God is different now because of what Jesus has done. Everything changed. So you and I, before we come here to worship, before we bow to pray, we're not offering bulls right? We're we're not going to get the goats. We're We're not sending out the scapegoat. Why? Because there was a perfect offering and sacrifice that came. There was somebody who went into that Holy of Holies with their blood and he fulfilled everything in his perfection in the life that he came to live so that you and I can be reconciled to God in him. showed up for us and what he accomplished was everything. Let's read on down there in Hebrews chapter 10 and continue to read about what he accomplished because I think we we need to see this today, this morning. In Hebrews 10, if we read on down, starting right there where we stop, once I get there, Hebrews 10, it says this, Whereof the Holy Ghost, in verse 15, also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins, here it is, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He doesn't just forgive your sins and iniquities, right? That's an important step, isn't it? That's an important part. He says, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So some of us come in here with a lot of baggage, right? Some of us come in here and we say, well, I've been very bad. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. And I want to tell you that that if you have repented of those mistakes in Jesus Christ, glory to his holy name, then he not only has forgiven that, but he has forgotten about it. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. He says there, now, where remission of of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So what Jesus accomplished as he came as a baby, and we celebrate that, we have to see it for all that it is. It's much bigger. Yes, he is the God-man. Yes, he died on the cross for our sins, but he did sin. So much more than that, because he paid the price, he went into the Holy of Holies, and he, and he shed his blood so that when he died on the cross, what happened? What happened to the veil? It was, it was torn. Yay, we're together. Yeah, it was torn. I heard that loud and clear. It was torn, right? From top to bottom, it was torn, so what does that mean for us? It means everything. It means everything for us because now all the fear, all the anticipation and anxiety of going in, all of the getting it right, we, we, we have a relationship. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that it's a ministry of reconciliation where we are going out and trying to get the world to be reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was a yearly, daily, always thing. But in Jesus, it's a once-for-all thing. It's a forgiveness and a forgetting about it. But when, when we look at the Old Testament, that's where we find the example of God's holiness. That's where we find the example. And even in Leviticus chapter 16, and I, I know we're going back and forth quite a bit, but there, there are multiple places. In verse number 12, for example, it says, and he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small and bring it within the veil. In verse number 15, he mentions the veil again. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin. Cent- offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Um, So multiple times in the process, we see this picture of the veil, the veil, the veil, the veil was there. Sin was a separator and the blood of bulls and goats wasn't enough. And we know that, that it came at the cost of their life if they messed it up. Because God is holy and sin, He has nothing to do with sin. And so I feel like, in some ways, I've heard all my life growing up that our nation as a whole has lost our fear of God. And I think that's true. You know, our fear of God, I think that one of these these circumstances where we would go into the presence and someone would lose their life would probably really get our attention, right? (laughs) We probably would think twice about how we approach God, about how we serve God, about how we reverence God, about how we talk about God, about how everything in our life represents Him if we experience God in the same way that they experienced God in the Old Testament. So so the question and the challenge for me as I go from Leviticus 16 to to Hebrews 10 is this, uh, what what is missing? Where where are we missing the mark? Where are we not getting it right? Because, uh, I mean, honestly, you look at everything that they had to go through to worship and to serve and all of the effort and all of the sacrifices, and now we come to a place of spiritual freedom where we have the Spirit of God, where we have the true Redeemer, not the blood bulls and goats and sometimes it feels like that nobody wants to move people don't want to do and it's such a hard thing to get folks excited and involved and you're like but look at look at how it once was we have freedom now because of the blood of the lamb and you come to terms with this it's not that god has changed god is the same it's not that god's requirements have changed They've just been paid for in full. But it's us, isn't it? And that's it's so many times in the scripture, and it's very convicting, and it's very humbling. But you go through it all, and you're like, yes, God, you deserve for us to reverence and respect. You deserve for all of us. You deserve for our surrender and our repentance. You've given us the privilege to be forgiven, uh, but... We give you this. I give you this, God. Could you imagine if the cell phones were back then and Aaron took a cell phone into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God? (laughs) Sounds humorous, but he would be dead on the spot, wouldn't he? I mean, without question. Could you imagine in the serious moment when he was sacrificing, if he was entertaining other conversations while he was sacrificing that bull on behalf of him and his household, while he was sacrificing the goat on behalf of the the nation of Israel? Could you imagine what God's perspective must look like on that? Could you imagine what it must look like when, uh, when uh, people, our are, are, are Bible studies are happening and we're on our phones and we're distracted from the main one and the main thing and we're our mind is all over the place and even if we're not verbalizing it, we're everywhere. Could you imagine if Aaron really wasn't paying attention to what he was doing before he slipped on the other side of that veil uh, in the Holy of Holies? Could you imagine what God's response to something like that would have been? And I look at it and I say well it's no different today that God is a God still he's the king on the throne he's still holy he still deserves to be reverenced and respected and what I find so often is instead of doing that we're trying to bring God in on our sin instead of doing that we're trying to get away with as little as possible when it comes to our life for God Malachi says offer to the governor what you're offering to God is the way he worded and see how the governor responds. And that convicts me. Offer to your employer what you offer to God and see how that goes. Offer to your your spouse or your wife what you offer God. Your husband or your wife. See how that goes. And, and you know, the word of God just has a way of bringing us to that place of conviction, bringing us to that place of reality, bringing into effect those reminders of the holiness of who he is. Um, and so in, in, in Leviticus, that very much does that. And, and the question is, well, we don't want to be that way. We have to come back to seeing God for who he is. We have to come back to the truth about who God is. And God is not this little genie that we can put on a box. God is the king on the throne. He is holy. He is mighty. He is righteous he is sovereign and we have to keep him at the place where he belongs and not try to bring him down to our level and put him on the shelf when we don't need him and give half-hearted commitment and surrender to him because there was never a time in the invitation when Jesus asked his disciples to follow him when Jesus said follow me if you have time because that would be weird since he's in control of all the time In Hebrews 10, reading on out, I just want you to see all the way down through verse 25. I want you to see what it says about Jesus. We talked about the two covenants meeting last week, but in verse number 19, as we read on down, it says this, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do you see that? Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Why? Why the boldness in the Old Testament? That was not boldness, right? That was like that was like this this fearful reverence to enter in because death could have happened. He says in Hebrews, now that you have boldness to enter into the holiest, you have boldness to come into the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus paid the price, so you can boldly go. The veil has been ripped from top to bottom. We can go into the presence of God now because of Him. Boldness. No, no one in here probably goes into prayer time thinking they're going to die in the prayer time, right? Nobody goes in reluctantly and says, I don't know if God wants to hear from me today, but I'm going to. No, it. we don't do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus has paid the price. We can have boldness to go in now because of what Christ has done. Having that boldness, he says, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. I think that would be the message from Aaron. If he came into the new covenant days that we live in today, he would say, why are we not drawing near? Draw near. See intimately who he is. Come close because now you have the privilege all the time to go into his presence. Everybody does. You don't have to be born of the right nation, of the right tribe, of the right lineage. We all have the privilege to go into his presence. Draw near, he says. And I hear the pages cry out to us. Don't you hear that? Draw near, come close. Jesus pleading, I am the place of rest. Jesus, everything that we need, all the satisfaction. We celebrate the birth, and it is all about the birth. But there is so much more that Jesus has accomplished for us. It was the beginning of so much in God's plan that allows us to be at the place where we can enter boldly. allows us to be at the place where we can draw near. All of us can. You don't have to go through me you can go right to the Father in Jesus. We have that privilege, all of us. Don't squander the privilege. Don't lose sight of the reality behind what Christ has done and what that means for you. We read on, he says, "...let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works." Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us hold fast, he said. Let us consider one another into love and good works and not forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Why? Because we are privileged to do it, right? Because we can all come together in the name of Jesus and we can worship. Because iron sharpens iron. Because like in any fire, when your coal separated from the rest of the fire, that glow goes dim. Him. Why not forsake the assembling together? Because we need one another in the faith. We need one another. And in our, and I'll go ahead and say this, and for those that can't be here with us today, I love you and it's not geared straight. But there's something different about being together than there is watching online. We need to be around one another. Why? Because. I'm going through something that you've already went through and God's brought you through and you can give me guidance on that because I'm struggling with sin and I need repent. I need to repent. I need to know how to handle it. And somebody has already probably went through that because I've been reading the word and I've been struggling to understand and I just don't have the answer to that question. But there's somebody in here who has already been there, has studied that and knows the answer. Why? Because sometimes you and I may not agree on everything and we may have this thing where we sharpen one another because sharpening takes pressure, doesn't it? Sharpening doesn't happen if you don't touch the blade to the, to, to, to what you're sharpening it with it takes some of that friction it takes some of that working and figuring it out according to the word of God together even if we don't always agree on everything getting to where God wants us to be by sharpening one another because we need that he says, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves. So what do we need to, what do we need to see out of all of this? Leviticus, Hebrews, what I, what I think that God wants us to see is this, is we can shortchange who God is. That's number one. We can't shortchange who God is. God is, is somebody, he's still the same God of Leviticus 16, is the God that we serve to get today. He is holy, he is righteous, he is sovereign, he is mighty. He is the king on the throne. And so you and I cannot become satisfied with our description of God that is heartless, that is without reverence, that is not recognizing him for the greatness of who he is. God is holy, and we've got to see him for who he is. Secondly, we can't minimize sin in our lives. We can't minimize it. We can't lose sight of the danger of sin in your life because sin in all of the Bible separates you from God. It's, it's a separator. That's why we needed a, a, a sacrifice in order to have a relationship. That's why the ministry is one of reconciliation, because you are not reconciled as long as that sin remains, right? So sin is a separator, and we can't, don't use, I would just challenge you not, this is my preference speaking, but I would challenge you not to use vocabulary that gives people a warm and fuzzy about sin remaining in their life. Don't use vocabulary that makes people feel good Even though they're not living for God, because they're not as bad as that other person. Listen, we don't have to answer to the other person, we answer to Him. So don't join in when people say, well, they're not that bad, it's not that, they're pretty good. No, don't give a false sense of security to someone if they don't know Jesus Christ, the only true hope that we have. And then finally, Jesus did abundantly more than what we even sometimes realize. He did, his his coming to this earth and what we celebrate at Christmas is much bigger than what sometimes we give it credit for. Yes, he came as a baby, but he came as a baby to die. And he came as a baby to die so that, that you and I could have life. He came as a baby and when he hung on that cross and when he died, it did say that the veil was rent. He came as a baby, but in the end of it all, he rose from the dead as a victorious king. And so that you and I can come boldly now into the holy of holies. We can come boldly into the presence of God. Why? We don't have to do it all the time. There don't have to be the sacrifices always because where the blood of bulls and goats failed, the blood of our precious Savior accomplished Everything. Everything. So so that you can go to God yourself. You don't have to go to an Aaron. You don't have to go to a high priest. You can go. And then finally, the scripture says draw near. So one of the things that I think that every, time, every week when I get ready to preach, my heart's cry is, Lord, help them to see you. That's, that, that may sound so simple, but that is, that is what the Spirit has convicted my heart on. Help them to see you. Don't, don't let them hear what the world describes you as being. Don't let them only listen to and become satisfied in what they've always heard and what they've always been taught. God, help them to see you afresh. Help them to see you. Because when you see it for what it is, when you see the life that's in the Word, when you see the holiness of God, when you understand that we have the privilege to draw near, I look at myself and I say, why am I not doing it more? Why am I not more intentional? Why am I not more active? I have the opportunity to go in now because of our precious Savior. That it seems like that sometimes I can just be too casual when I do go in. It feels like that I can be too easy to justify and pass off my sin. I can categorize this one's bigger than this one, but that's not really what God says, it's sin. Draw near, he says. So I think today, what God wanted us to see was just be reminded of who he is. Yes, he came as a baby, and we celebrate that. But oh my goodness, the things that he accomplished for us so that we could have a relationship, the challenges don't take for granted what Jesus paid for you. he took the nails, he took the whips, he took the crown, he took it all. He wasn't a bull or a goat, he came as a lamb, slain. And he paid everything for you. And it's easy for us to know, oh, we have access, and to be satisfied with using that access whenever we feel like it. Don't step over Jesus and the price that he paid in order to fulfill whatever you want to do in your life when he has paid so much for you. Don't miss out on the opportunity that we have to go into the Holy of Holies. So whether you're here today, and you may say, well, I've been a Christian, we always we always talk about this, but I, I've been a Christian for a long time, uh, and, and, and I, I was born again many years ago, uh, but, but I can tell you from my life that it is a, a, a lifelong process of sanctification. So maybe you say that I have given my life to Jesus, I have been reconciled to God, I have been redeemed, but you could be here today, and you may say, I'm not taking advantage of the privilege and opportunity that I have. have in Jesus, I'm not going into the Holy of Holies, I'm not bowing on my face before his throne, I'm not crying out to him like I should, I'm not serving him like I should, even though I have all this at my fingertips, I'm just not, then this is time for you today. Because you don't have to, it's always one of those things It feels like we don't have to stay where we are because we serve a living Savior, Right? We can, we, As God convicts, as his spirit is faithful, we can repent, we can turn to him. We don't have to remain where we are. But maybe you're here today and you say, well, I have never, I felt like I tried, and, or online even, I felt like that I've tried to live a good life. I felt like that I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as this one. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay, and I've really tried to do good. I want to tell you that the effort may be there, but it's impossible on our behalf to be good enough for God. Because the Bible says that uh, in like fashion, just as we talk about death this morning and, and how death would happen if it wasn't paid for properly, in like fashion, we know that the cost of our sin is death. Death. There's no, there's no sugarcoating that. There's no me getting around it because it's not my word. It's his word. So the, the cost of the sin is death. So for us to come about that, for us to even come alongside someone that says, well, I've tried to live good, we can maybe applaud the effort and the attempt, but the true reconciliation only comes in Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, well, I've been in church my whole life, I'm, that's awesome. Awesome but you need Jesus. If you're here today and you say, well, I've been, I've been baptized. I, I probably know the Bible better than you, Daniel. That could be very true. But you need Jesus. There's no other sacrifice that's, when, that's torn that veil from top to bottom so that we can have access other than his. There's only one way for us to be saved. There's only one way for us to have redemption. And that is Jesus. So so I don't know where you are today, but as the Spirit leads and as the Spirit speaks, maybe it's just a time where you come to the altar and you say, I just want to praise Him. I just want to lift my hands and worship. Maybe it's right where you are. And just thank Him that He would be willing to come and to pay a price that all the priests throughout the ages, all that wasn't enough. But Jesus, right? Whatever God is leading you in today that's the altar is open you don't have to come to the altar though you can you can go before God right where you are why because of Jesus right so as we stand together today heads bowed and eyes closed let me just say a prayer for us father we just trust in your spirits leading we trust in your word Father, sometimes I can get so caught up in just the facts that I know that I don't think about the truth behind those facts. I don't think about the life that exists behind those. The reality behind your son coming is a bigger reality sometimes than we even realize. We are living hope apart from our precious Jesus Father forgive us for not recognizing you as the king for not treating you like you're on the throne for not reverently bowing fearfully bowing at your feet as many times as much as we possibly can Because because of your plan, we can boldly come into your presence. Because of your plan, we can pray and you hear our prayers. Father, how easy it is for us to get caught up in our lives, in our busyness, and in our freedoms, and forget what it costs for us to be free. us never to forget about who you are and what you've done for us and father in this time of invitation I just pray that we would just be still in your presence and allow you to lead and direct and guide and and just fall before you in reverent praise for you are worthy and it's in Jesus name we pray amen